What's gonna happen tonight? What's gonna happen? We're gonna whoop their Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast on Go Vols 247. I am Ben McKee, joined by Wes Rucker, and have quite a bit to discuss on this episode of the podcast. It's been a minute since we hopped on the podcast to talk some Tennessee baseball, so we do have plenty to recap, and we also have quite a bit to look forward to because Tennessee travels to Baton Rouge literally as we speak. They are currently on a plane headed down to the boot to take on number one LSU that is absolutely rocking and rolling. So have have several things to get into when it comes to previewing that matchup this weekend. But first, Wes, how are you? Doing all right, man. Uh, I should tell you that uh, you're not just joined by me on this episode. Uh, Gus is in the building. He is at my feet. He refused to leave Fort Rucker studio. He would not go out to the hall and uh, he is just staring at me now. So if you hear a little pitter-patter, that's what you're hearing. Apologies. Well, Gus just wants to, to talk some Tennessee baseball, or, or or I should say, I guess, take in some Tennessee baseball. And uh, th- there is plenty to take in. We mentioned it. They play LSU this weekend in Baton Rouge. And then next weekend, they will come back home, and they will play number three, Florida, I believe. And then the following week, they will travel to number six, Arkansas. And then the week after that, they come back home and they play number four, I believe, Vanderbilt. So uh, quite the stretch here for Tennessee. And it comes after a a big, much needed sweep of a top 25 baseball team. And that is the Texas A&M fighting Aggies. They are no longer ranked after being swept by Tennessee, but they did arrive in Knoxville as the, as the number 21 overall team in the country. And it, it was a big weekend for Tennessee after what happened at Missouri. It, it was much needed. They needed to bounce back and, and figure out a way to get in the win column, as the great John Wilkerson would say. And, and they did that three times. Yeah, it was a, it was a big weekend, Ben. Uh, you know, anytime and, – and we can sit here all day and talk about how Tennessee opening the season at Mizzou is weird. And, and it is um, – because it's cold and miserable there and the weather was bad and there was a you know two seven inning games after a day off and th- there were a lot of weird things about that series at the end of the day though you would expect Tennessee to take care of business and it did not obviously uh, business got taken care of against Tennessee so once that happens I think you reach one of those the, there are several forks in a road in a season I think that was one probably for Tennessee where you, you had a bunch of guys who had to have a miserable sort of trip back to Knoxville and say, what are we? Are, is, is, this, is this what we are as a team? And they said, no, that, that's not who we are as a team. Uh, and they went out there, the weather warmed up, they played better baseball. And still some things that are not going the way they need to be going necessarily, but uh, a much, much better step in the right direction and a much needed one because of the road that, that's, that's coming ahead. Like There's going to be a lot of challenges in, in this season, obviously, and, and this month coming up is, man, Ben, it's – even in the SEC, this month might be one of the toughest four-week stretches I've ever seen. Yeah, and and a lot of people were asking, how in the world did the schedule end up the way that it ended up? And it's, it's really just bad luck more than, than anything. I, I don't think Greg Sankey was sitting in his office with uh, the, the SEC baseball folks and, and plotting and, and scheming. Uh, against Tennessee, I, part of it is that it's it's just SEC baseball for you. The, this is this is SEC baseball for those who who are new to SEC baseball. It's it's been like this for years, for for years and years and years, and that's because baseball is so popular in the South, and and there's just so much talent in the South. Naturally, they are most likely going to go to these Southern schools and in the premier conference and and that's what you have here and and that's why so many teams are locked and loaded the way that they are I mean the, there are 13 good baseball teams out of 14 13 out of the 14 yeah. are good baseball teams the only one that I would say is not a good baseball team right now is Mississippi State and and even Mississippi State has a lot of talent in that lineup it it's just their their pitching staff it's just absolutely abysmal. I was looking through the numbers a, a moment ago, and as you can imagine, if you've seen any of the Mississippi State scores this season, 
their pitching staff is dead last in walks. And I don't know the exact number, uh, even though I did just look at it. It was like 160-something walks to be dead last in the SEC. And the 13th team, which was Texas A&M, funny enough, uh, I think Texas A&M has like 120-something. I mean, we're, we're talking about a difference in 40-something walks. And we're only a, a month and a half to two months into the season. So there's only one bad baseball team right now, and it's Mississippi State. And, and look, it goes for SEC softball as well, kind of fitting that yep. that South narrative that I just pitched as well, no pun intended. Uh, SEC softball is routinely just as locked in and loaded as uh, SEC baseball is. So it's it's just un, unfortunate luck, if you want to call it that. But I, I think it's more so just life in the SEC because you even look in, on the back end of the schedule – and it may not be uh, the the powerhouses that we're used to seeing each and every single season, like like we're going to see this next month. But you have a Kentucky team that, until they lost the series finale at Alabama, they had they had won a a country best or, or nationwide best seventeen games in a row. Kentucky is really good in baseball. So Kentucky far. and Mizzou have both been a lot better than I think people thought they would be. And I think that's added a layer of depth to this conference. And, you know, I, I, I Kentucky's been pitching it well. Some of those guys have nasty stuff on the mound. Mizzou, man, certainly one of the, the, the better players in the league, and that's always saying something in this league. I, I don't think that there's any sort of conspiracy theory with Tennessee's schedule. I think that's a little silly. But, but I do think it's interesting that the first edition of it that they put out and then – they had to correct it. The first edition did not have Tennessee playing Arkansas. Now it does have Tennessee playing Arkansas in the middle of a pretty nasty stretch. But but no matter how you slice it in this league, unless you draw right now Mississippi State, you're 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 getting a really good baseball team. And even against Miss State, as you said, you're getting a good lineup. And if you have to play in Starkville, you're you're getting a, a tough place to play. On top of that, so th- there's no getting around it that, that this league is difficult. But still, th- this stretch, particularly here for Tennessee, is is an absolute doozy. I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like this, where you're playing you know, four consecutive weekends against top legitimate top five teams. It's it's sort of bonkers, but but it's this league, right? And, that, you know, that's why several players at Tennessee have, have told us, this is why you come to Tennessee. Tony Vitello has said several times, this is why you come play at Tennessee. You get to play in these games and you get to, you get to be one of the big boys. You get to swim with the Sharks. And we'll start seeing this weekend, is Tennessee still a Shark? Or, or, or is Tennessee kind of back – down a little bit you know we're going to find out pretty soon i would like to think that the we're going to see a response but you never know yeah and the point that i was getting to is that the back half of the schedule second half of the schedule it it's going to feature really good baseball teams kentucky yeah uh, you, you do get mississippi state here in a couple of weeks I, I think funny enough that that's the series after vanderbilt to, to wrap up this four-week stretch but uh georgia the, they're always going to have natural talent because mm-hmm. they're in the state of georgia uh, I mentioned Kentucky, South Carolina's the the final weekend of the regular season, and and that's at South Carolina. That's going to be a tough place to play, and and South Carolina's been off to to one of the best starts in the country this season as well. The last couple of years for South Carolina, it's felt like what could go wrong did go wrong, yeah. And, and this season, they they kind of seem to have the the magic touch or. or uh, the the bounce of the ball has has been on their side, and and the 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 luck of the Irish is is on their side. So uh, th- this week is going to be, or this month I should say, upcoming month is is going to be a gauntlet. But it's it's more just this is SEC baseball, and this is what you sign up for uh, when you want to coach in the SEC, and and when you want to play in the SEC. And uh, as you alluded to, we are going to learn a lot over this next month about Tennessee baseball. I I think we're true, truly, truly going to learn what their full potential is. And I, I think we're, we're going to learn just how good the lineup is and can be. I think we're going to learn just how deep this pitching staff is going to be. And I will say, although I, I think we're going to learn this, the ceiling of this baseball team maybe and, I, I kind of hate even saying that, re- reflecting on my comment that I made even seconds ago, uh, because I did want to throw this point out there. Like it's March 29th. The NCAA tournament does not start until 
the, the last weekend of May or the first weekend of, of June. There, there's still two months of, of baseball to be played. And the, you're going to hear this a, a million times <laughs> these next two months and, and going into the NCAA tournament. Ole Miss was terrible last year. They were the last team in the field. They were going to fire its baseball coach, and they went on to win a national championship. And I truly believe it's because they were competing in the SEC and because of the gauntlet that is the SEC baseball schedule. So the point that I'm getting to is even if these next four weeks don't go well for Tennessee, that doesn't mean that they don't have the potential or the ceiling to to make it to Omaha or potentially win a national championship because they're not going to be a finished product at the end of these four weeks. We may know a lot more than we do now, but that doesn't mean that they will be a a finished product. And we've already seen them continue to grow and grow and grow from week to week and become a better baseball team from week to week that even, even at the end of this four week stretch, there will still be a month left of regular season baseball and, and still plenty of room for them to grow. So fascinated to, to kind of see where they are at the end of this four week stretch uh, and, and then projecting into SEC tournament and NCAA tournament, what they could potentially do there as well. And I, I thought it was a great sign that they were really able to turn things around against Texas A&M kind of right away after the Missouri debacle. And th- there were so many different angles to, to the Missouri debacle, uh, the, the cold weather, hard not to think that that was absolutely an issue. Uh, also the, the environment, we talked about this on the podcast leading into that weekend there, there, it was going to be a, a friends and family only crowd. And that's what it was in Missouri. Like you've got to find a way to bring your own energy. You have to find a way to, to love the cold weather. You just, you just have to, and Tennessee didn't adapt to those circumstances the way that it needed to. And, and, for Tennessee's sake, hopefully they will learn from that in the future. But then also Missouri, a really, really good baseball team. Uh, they, they are much improved for, from the last couple of years. And they took advantage of a Tennessee team that I, I thought was a little too arrogant and needed to be put back in its place. And we've talked about this, Wes. This is a team with a bunch of new faces, and particularly in the field and in the lineup. Their faces that didn't really contribute to Tennessee going to Omaha or being what last year's team was. And just because you put on a Tennessee uniform doesn't mean that you're automatically going to win every single baseball game and and have individual success. So I I think Tennessee needed a a reality check and it it appears that it worked because it it was a polar opposite team, completely different team that we saw against Texas A&M this past weekend. Yeah, I think we talked about the the fork in the road, and I think that's certainly one of the forks in the road. I, I think, you know, is it is it hubris? Is it overconfidence? Some ego? Are are they trying to live off of 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 goodwill or or, or ego or swagger that previous teams earned and maybe they hadn't earned? I, I don't know. Exactly. We're not in the locker room that often, so I, I don't. I, I can't answer those questions really. I can just tell you that. There were some concerns with the staff that that maybe these guys weren't were getting too much hype, were getting too much attention because they hadn't really earned some of the plaudits that they had gotten going into the season. The pitchers had, the pitchers certainly had, um, but there were several pieces in that in that lineup that that really hadn't. And you know, sometimes you got to get humbled a little bit before you 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 understand some things and. You go to Missouri, it's cold, it's windy, you get punched in the mouth, you you get uh, adjusted to the fact that even though you weren't the same faces that made like college baseball hate you, uh, you're still wearing those jerseys. <laughs> you're still so you're still going to get that much animosity from teams and opponents that you play and from from fans that you go play against and you're getting everyone's best shot and you're going to have to be ready for that. And I, I think that getting getting that sort of um that uh, that that recalibration between the ears probably helped a little bit because they came out as a more you know sort of locked in team the next weekend. They weren't perfect, but um, they they battled. They won some games. They had some big hits. They pitched pretty well. And, and I think when you look at the team, Ben, the ERA is right exactly almost identical to what it was last season. They just they need to play maybe a little bit better defensively, and they need to 
be better with runners on base. They need to capitalize on opportunities because their power numbers were so ridiculous last season. They're not going to be that this year. They're still good, but they're not what they were last year. And so they're going to have to you, – you, you can't even, – even in that, that 5 nothing win over UNC Asheville, they had an inning where they scored one run and the bases were loaded. No, that's three consecutive strikeouts. Like that, that's – that that never would have happened last season. It just would not have happened. When that team had a chance to to put you away, it almost always put you away. And a little bit, whether is that talent? Is that ruthlessness? Is it a combination? I don't know. But this team is more of a process. Last season was sort of a culmination of a process with with some guys that had been through some lumps together early in their careers, and they'd gotten better, and then they became these sort of beasts in a way and this team's sort of in that mode of of getting there it, it's in that first step or two of the process and i i think they're gonna have to take a couple, a couple more lumps before they really get where they need to be probably but I, I mean this weekend is a hell of a time to to see where you are you know did you learn lessons did you not we're gonna find out in a hurry because alex box is gonna be rocking all weekend that's gonna be a tough place to play against a really good team that looks a lot like tennessee did last year if i'm being honest you know the pitching not quite the same the offense about what tennessee's was last season i mean we're gonna find out a lot about where these guys are in the process doesn't matter doesn't mean they're if they even if they get swept this weekend or if it doesn't go well it doesn't necessarily mean anything bad's gonna happen this season it just means that you know you, you're not where you want to be yet in the process no, and, and that's what I was saying earlier. It's like even if Tennessee goes out this weekend and, and gets swept, I mean, that, that doesn't mean that they're going to miss the NCAA tournament. Uh, it, it just means that they still have a a, a lot of places in, in which it needs to grow. And and we'll get into the LSU series on on the back half of, of this podcast. Did want to talk uh, about a couple of things from the Texas A&M series. Sure, and sure. The, the, the main thing that stood out to me, and, and we've kind of already been talking about it, but just the, the complete 180 in – determination and responding to adversity. It was just a completely different Tennessee baseball team than the one that you saw at Missouri. And uh, Tony didn't necessarily want to to admit it publicly uh, going into the Texas A&M series because I, I asked him going into the A&M series if, if he felt like the, the team lacked the, the grit and determination that he had kind of brought up. Uh, after the Boston College loss a couple of weeks ago, and and he kind of sidestepped it, and, and I totally understand not wanting to throw his team under the bus, but uh, he he did make some comments post Texas A&M, and and even after uh, last night's win over UNC Asheville, that it was fair to to question the effort in, in certain areas, in really all areas, uh, in in regards to the Missouri performance. Uh, he he said that it wasn't what it needed to be, uh, not that they were just completely lackadaisical and, and completely out of it, um, just did not care at all, but just it wasn't what it needed to be. We, we talk about this SEC baseball grind, you, your your edge that, that you have and your concentration level and your effort, it, it just has to be totally, totally different than what these other leagues are playing for. And, and I know that kind of kind of. <laughs> sounds uppity and you, you're kind of sticking your nose up, but that's what it is. The, sco- the, sco- the scoreboard says what it says. Yes. The, the conference success speaks for itself uh, at, at this point. It, it's just different. And, and that's more so what Tony was getting at. And for, for that to happen and then for there to be a complete 180 the next weekend, because it wasn't just that Tennessee swept A&M. They bounced back with a sweep. They, they had to face early adversity in each and every single game yep. this past weekend, they they trailed two nothing after the top of the first inning. They trailed two nothing on Friday, that is, and then they trailed two nothing again on Saturday in game two after the top of the first inning, and then they trailed again in after the top of the first inning, one to nothing in the series finale. They they trailed all three games midway through one inning, and Chase Dolander he gets out there. And, and there's a miscommunication issue with with the signs. Uh, Jared Dickey's in in there catching now, and we can touch on that. But uh, Dickey thought the, the signs were going to be one thing. Dolander thought it was going to be another, and and it leads to a, a bunch of dysfunction. And, and really, Tennessee was lucky to get out of that inning with only two runs given up. But they they turned around and scored four runs in the bottom of the first. And for the weekend, 
if you take that top of the first inning away, Tennessee outscored Texas A&M 27-12 to over the three games. Just a, a complete 180 from the Missouri series where they went down in the first inning mm-hmm. and they just did not respond. They, they got hit once and they did not get up off the mat. And that was very disappointing to see from a Tennessee baseball program that has kind of made its living off of the the edge that it plays with. And it was lacking against Missouri. And I don't know what Tony did. Maybe it was that Tuesday game uh, against I'm, – I'm blanking on who they played uh, a, a week ago. Yeah, when, at, he, at, when, he, when, he, when he filled out the FU lineup card, basically, or the yes. burn the world lineup card yes. of, of like, yes. nope, everybody out. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's what did the trick. Uh, in in that midweek game uh, against Western Carolina is who that was against. I don't know if that's what it was, but he he pressed some magical button that just resulted in a complete 180 mentality wise, and then that sparked better actual play when it comes to the game of baseball. Yeah, and, and I I think that that you look back at in, in a different sport in basketball. I mean, Bob Bob Knight was a has been a deeply flawed human being, but but he also had some really good points along the way that he made when he was doing some of the things he, he was doing throughout his career. And he had that quote about how sometimes when you put a player on the bench, their butt hitting the bench like sends neurological signals up to the brain that they're doing something wrong. You know, like the force of sitting on the bench sends something up to the brain to, hey, uh, hey I'm not doing something right. And, and I think that it, it might not be that simple, but, you know, some players to be reminded, hey, um, you don't have to start every game. Like, we're, we're, if you're not going to produce, if this team's not going to produce with you in this spot, I don't care what your name is. We got other guys who I'm going to give something somebody else a chance because we need to win some ball games. And, and that players can respond a couple different ways to that, depending on how they're wired. You know, they can either shut down or they can really kind of get mad and they can respond and they can get dialed in and. I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it was a couple of guys on the team who are in leadership roles sort of bringing guys together after that moment and saying, hey, um, we need to be better than this. We should be better than this. Those guys in the program could probably tell you exactly what it was or something close to it. But from the outside looking in, they certainly got some answers. Now, they, they also got helped by the friendly orange confines of Lindsey Nelson Stadium and the fan support behind them and the way that they know they just always feel juiced in that ballpark. Um, but And they're going to have to take that to the road at some point. But it was a good step in the right direction. And to respond to getting swept by then sweeping your next opponent – it it's it levels a lot of things. It brings you right back. It's water finding its level, but you get you a fresh start going into SEC play again. And, and now in week three, it recalibrates a lot of things. It energizes folks, and it's a good sign because whoever wins the national championship in baseball and in basketball is normally a team that has taken some lumps along the way and has learned to respond to them. So if you're Tennessee in this program right now, everything is about competing for championships and it should be with the way you're recruiting the way you're developing players the way you're performing that pitching staff you have so yeah i I mean i I think it's good though to to you know bleed your own blood taste your own blood occasionally it's a good thing it's a healthy thing if you respond to it and i think vitello and elander and frank anderson and those guys have you know eberhart you know zercher all the guys in that program i think they've pushed some right buttons because the guys look like they're sort of dialed back in yes and and for their sake, thank goodness they did it before this four-week stretch because they they will certainly be tested mentally this weekend against LSU and, and these upcoming weeks as well. And, and obviously LSU is a very talented and, and deep baseball team, so physically you're going to have to show up as well just as a mm-hmm. pure baseball player. But I, I think the biggest key to this weekend is, is just being where you need to be mentally um, because – LSU is going to throw haymakers just with their players that they throw out there on the field. Dil- Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens are, are not from this world. I mean, the depth of the depth are, of that lineup is insane. And there are a million other really good baseball players on that team. And then Alex Box Stadium is going to be nuts, just absolutely rocking. So uh, good for Tennessee that they turned the page mentally and got back to where it needed to be prior to uh, to this LSU series, and, and we'll see if they can sustain it. It's one thing to do it one weekend, 
Um, but it, that, that's a small sample size, and, and they need to show that that's actually who they are and that it wasn't just one weekend and they benefited from being at home at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. So that, that's certainly something to keep an eye on. I did think that was the biggest takeaway from the sweep over Texas A&M. There are obviously some some other things here and there that, that stood out as well. I, Christian, as Christian Scott for me. Yeah, that, that's what I was getting into is uh, Zane Denton had a big day on Sunday, just kind of mentioning this in passing. Zane Denton was big on Sunday after being bumped down into the bottom of the lineup, and that seemed to spark him, although against UNC Asheville uh, on Tuesday night, he, he did struggle. Uh, but the outfield rotation and the catching – uh, seems to be coming into to a much clearer picture, and it, and it kind of goes hand in hand. You, you really can't mention either as separate points because Jared Dickey obviously plays a, a hand uh, in both catching and the outfield. And with Jared seemingly transitioning back to catcher more in a, a full time role, that opens up more one more spot in, in the outfield. And and first on on Dickey catching. It's not an ideal situation, and I don't say that to to disrespect Jared because I think Jared is a, a much better catcher than some fans are giving him credit for. I, I say it in the sense of he, he's not he's not spent a whole ton of time. He's not been a full time catcher to this point in his career, just like Evan Russell wasn't. Uh, Jared has not been to to this point in his career because he's so talented. He can play multiple positions. Um, but they, they've they kind of been they've, – they've had to deal with the hand that they've been dealt, uh, and part of that is is moving Dickey back uh, to catcher, and I, I think part of that is is because Charlie Taylor's bat uh, hasn't, hasn't been exactly where it needs to be. Uh, it, it, it's, it's improved from a season ago, but I also don't think it's improved to the point to where you can just – without a doubt, put him in the lineup. And again, we talked about this in the preseason. That That's that's not the end-all, be-all at the catcher's position. Charlie is really, really, really good defensively. It's just his bat is still a work in progress. It, it's it's still developing. And with the lineup kind of being in flux and, and needing more of a punch, I think they're looking for more of a punch with the bat, and, and that's why you've seen Jared Dickey slide in there at catcher, and, and you look at Cal Stark, and, and he certainly has a, a fairly good bat in his hands, and, and Ryan Miller can swing it, but Dickey's ahead of Ryan Miller defensively, and I, I don't think that there's a difference at all between Cal Stark and, and Jared Dickey as a defensive catcher as well, which is why I think you've seen Dickey get the nod over, over Cal uh, catching as well, because then you can slide in one of these freshman outfielders. It was Kavar's tears who unfortunately uh, hurt his hamstring and, and he's going to miss a, a little bit of time, which is unfortunate for him because he really started to hit his yeah, stride there, did. especially in game one of Texas A&M. Uh, but you, you have a Dylan Dryling who is, is really starting to, to figure things out as a freshman. I, I think Dickey at catcher opens up some more possibilities in the outfield especially when you do get tears back. And, and so I know that's kind of caught fans off guard, but Dickey does do some things well back there. And, and Tony spoke to this. He just kind of needs to, to slow down his thought process and, and that he's thinking too much. And when he just catches it and he lets go of it, he, he throws a, a pretty ball trying to throw out would-be base stealers. Uh, and he does a really good job with the framing. I yes, know he does. Really, yes, he really, really, really does. That that's one of the things they loved about Evan Russell. They they track that stuff, and and Jared do, does it just as well as Evan did last year. And Jared has great leadership qualities, which is really important as a catcher, as everybody knows. And and he has great rapport with the pitching. So I think that's why you've seen Jared, to the surprise of of some from the outside, go back to to that catcher spot to to open up things in the lineup from a hitting standpoint. And then also he's he's better defensively than he's shown up until this point and better defensively than I think some realize. Yeah, for me, I think it comes down to there's a decision that you got to make, and, and it's basically would you rather have Charlie Taylor or Christian Moore in the lineup? 
because you really can't, I don't think. And, and Christian Scott. Yeah, Christian Scott. I'm sorry. You always want Christian Moore in the lineup. Christian Scott or Charlie Taylor in the lineup because you Scott's been hitting the ball better, but you really can't have him and Taylor in the lineup at the same time. It's just offensively that's that's tough. So I think what you, you sort of have to decide, would you rather have Charlie Taylor's defense and, and inconsistent sort of bat there? At catcher, or would you rather have you know Christian Scott being a, a fantastic defender at a premium position in the outfield, and, and maybe not being as consistent with the bat, but he has more pop. He's certainly a better base runner. He can steal bases. He can do more things offensively than Charlie Taylor can do. And, and I think it it comes down to to me the decision. I don't want to say it's easy because it's not, but I would rather have Christian Scott in the lineup than Charlie Taylor in the lineup right now. And I, I think Dickey can frame pitches. He can handle things okay. You can get by there. It's not ideal, but w- but what is in this world? Uh, I, I I like Scott being right now in the lineup because he helps. They don't have a lot of foot speed and in a lot of other places in the outfield. He helps overcome a lot of things out there when he's at his best. And and that having him there, and he also has a little bit of pop with the bat. He can steal bases. I just think it's a better move for Tennessee right now because you can't really put both in the lineup and and you got to kind of go with one and right now uh, I would go with I would go with Scott right now that's and I think that's what Tony's doing and I think it's probably the right move. Yeah, there's just not a a, a big enough gap defensively to to where you have to have Charlie yeah. in there. Uh Jer- Jared did have some 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 issues this past weekend uh, at, at times, but again, I, I think it's it, it's going to have to be a grace period of sorts and adjustment period because he he worked all there he worked there all fall long uh, and was was really making strides there until he uh, broke his hand and had to miss the last month or so of fall. He he was he was on track to be Tennessee starting catcher. And then that kind of put him behind the eight ball, which is why you saw them shift him back towards the outfield and try to see if Charlie Taylor or Cal Stark could could take a stranglehold of the job. I, I think the other big development for Tennessee is that Hunter Inslee has really proven to, to be a, a really quality baseball player. Uh, I don't know that he does anything elite per se, but he does a lot of things really, really well. And I think uh, because of, Tennessee turning over a new leaf after losing so much from last year's team, just getting a, a guy that's just a good ball player in the lineup has, has been so critical and he can play corner outfield. He can play center field. Technically he can play first base. Uh, he can DH for you. Uh, and he's, he's showing that you can really hit him up and down the lineup, whether that being the, the Christian Moore is going to own the two spot, but uh, you you can move Inslee up in the lineup if you wanted to. He's hit cleanup at times, uh, and then obviously you can hit him anywhere below cleanup as as well. So I think that's helped Tennessee solve the outfield stuff for now as as well. Griffin Merritt he, he's going to be in the lineup in either corner outfield spot, uh, and then Hunter Inslee's going to be in there. And uh, Dickey if he's catching, then then it's going to be Christian Scott out there. And, and you said it perfectly. It's it's kind of coming down to is Christian Scott or, or Charlie Taylor starting that day. And uh, right now, I think the difference is both are elite defensively. Charlie is a, a great defender. C. Scott is a great defender. But I think the difference is C. Scott's been here for, for quite some time now. There, there's a leadership presence there. Not that Charlie doesn't have it as a catcher, but Christian's been here longer. Uh, there's the IQ aspect that I think Tennessee needed a a little boost in as well, just baseball IQ uh, out in the outfield, on on the bases. And and Wes mentioned it, the the foot speed, Tennessee does get quicker with with him in the lineup. So I think they trust his bat uh, more at the moment, a little bit more at the moment than than they trust Charlie Taylor. And I think that's what it's coming down to. And and that's helped uh, solidify or, or figure things out in the meantime that that outfield rotation and also who's going to be the starting catcher because that's kind of been a revolving door as well um, this season yeah and they need they, they need Kavar's tears to get back and he will Tony said it's going to be a sooner than later type of situation with with the hamstring uh and, and I mentioned this I, I hate it for him because he was really starting to find his stride there but if he can get back healthy and, and get back to where he was he's he's another guy that's that's going to help this team in the long run whether it be as a DH or 
uh, filling one of those outfield spots with Dickey Ketchin. He's a guy that's going to help this baseball team. And I think Dylan Dryling is as well. I, I'd, I'd like to see him earn more starting opportunities than, than he has. Uh, th- there are some freshman concerns. That That's all they are, freshman concerns with the base running and, and the fielding. But you just cannot deny the bat. And he, he has really sparked the team with the bat at times. And th- those are two other guys that are going to factor in as this season progresses as well as Kavar's Tears and Dylan Dryling. Yeah, and I, I don't have anything to add to what you just said, Ben. I thought it was really good. The only thing I uh, would add – is that Hunter Ensley is also a right-handed bat, which I've said now for a couple times on this podcast in the past few weeks. He, he Normally, you'd like to have more left-handed bats. Tennessee needs a couple more right-handed bats, especially if Merritt's going to be struggling a little bit. He's been kind of in a little bit of a rut the past couple weeks. I, I think you, Ensley's right-handed bat is is good because Dickey can hit lefties. We know he can. We know Burke can, can hit lefties, too, pretty well at times. I, I think Ensley's right-handed bat's a nice sort of weapon to have because, you know, Dryling, Tears, you know, Scott, Book, all these guys are left-handed, all of them. Um, but a guy like uh, Ensley right-handed, that helps. It certainly does. And, and the last quick thing I'll mention before we hit a break here on the podcast is that it, it certainly seems to to also be Tennessee, that is, seems to be figuring out roles in the bullpen as well. We spent a lot of time talking about the lineup, but – uh, there, there's no doubt that the the top three arms out of the bullpen is Andrew Lindsay, Seth Halverson, and Camden Sewell. The, that is without a doubt. And uh, Camden still going to be that Swiss Army knife. He, he hasn't been able to pitch a, a ton just yet, uh, A, because he was hurt the first month of the, the season, and then B, there just really hasn't been a, a great opportunity for him to get out on the mound and and kind of play the role that we've seen him play in the past. So in the meantime, you've seen Andrew Lindsay and Seth Halverson really eat up a, a lot of the innings. And outside of Camden, I think those are going to be Tony's two go-to guys out of the bullpen, and rightfully so. They they each have big league stuff, and and they're going to get a opportunity to to play professionally. And and Kirby's going to play a role as well because he's a lefty specialist. But in terms of the main guys out of the bullpen, the the ones who are going to be coming in to to win a series. And not saying that those other guys aren't, but like the main ones, like your your Redmond Walshes and Camden obviously has been a part of this team for a while. Like they they fit that same mold. And and this weekend was was pretty obvious uh, because of the 11.2 innings, I believe the bullpen pitched. Uh, Halverson and Lindsay accounted for six of those 11 innings. So uh, Lindsay, Sewell, Halverson, definitely the top three guys out of the bullpen and 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 that is also starting to to work itself out of late as you would expect because now we're getting into the thick of SEC play and speaking of the thick of SEC play Tennessee is going to be in the thick of it this weekend down in Baton Rouge playing number one LSU we're going to talk about that next here on the Diamond Balls podcast but first we do have to take a break so we'll be back in just a moment Welcome back into the Diamond Balls podcast on GoBalls247.com. Before we discuss number 10 Tennessee at number one LSU, would like to remind you to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you do get your podcast. That would help us in a great way, and we would certainly appreciate that. Wes, this LSU team is pretty ridiculous when you look at them uh, on paper, uh, whether it be offensively or, or on the mound. The, the stats are just, oh, my goodness. They, they just pop off the stat sheet. The, their offense is practically first in everything. They're first in batting average. They're first in on-base percentage. They're first in runs scored. They're first in RBIs. They're second in slugging percentage, second in hits, third in total bases, third in walks, uh, fifth in home runs, and sixth in doubles. So they're, they're pretty much in the top half of the SEC in every major statistical category. Uh, and they also, they, I mean, it's the same with the pitching staff. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think yeah, eighth in ERA nationally, I think. Yeah, lowest opponent batting average, fewest hits allowed, fewest doubles allowed, uh, second fewest runs allowed, third in ERA uh, in the SEC. Tennessee is first, by the way. Uh, they've allowed the third fewest walks. They're they're fifth in strikeouts, and and even defensively, they get the job done. Highest fielding percentage in the SEC, 
They've committed the fewest errors so far. They've only committed nine errors on the season uh, to this point. Uh, and then also they've allowed the third fewest stolen bases, have only allowed 11 stolen bases. Uh, the, the only thing you maybe highlight and, and question, uh, and I, I don't even know if you question it because you don't have to if you are this LSU offense. They don't steal a lot of bases. They, they've, they have the fewest stolen bases in the SEC. They've only stolen 11. Uh, and they've also attempted the fewest steals in the SEC at 17. So that, that that is something that doesn't pop out on the stat sheet. But it's not something that they have to do when they swing it the way that they do swing it. Um, seventh most strikeouts, so kind of middle of the road in the SEC in terms of striking out offensively, uh, 191 times. Again, that's the seventh most, so middle of the road. Uh, and I, I do think that leads into the, the biggest determining factor. I think there's two of them. Uh, A, the mental aspect and the grit and the determination, all that stuff we talked about earlier in the pod, That that's all going to have to be there this weekend in order to come out with a series win. But the other thing when it comes down to actual baseball, Wes, is Chase Dolander, Chase Burns, and Drew Beam, they have – to lead the way they they have to set the tone they have to pitch to their potential in order for for Tennessee to stick around this weekend and, and I don't say that as some NCAA tournament level type of Cinderella upset that they're they're trying to pull off this Tennessee baseball team has a ton of talent as well but th- there's no doubt about it LSU right now is a better baseball team they're the hottest baseball team in the country at the moment and in order to slow down this lineup that just features one bat after the next, Chase Dolander, Chase Burns, Drew Beam, they're going to have to lead the way. And I am curious, this doesn't necessarily apply to, to Drew Beam because he's not a high strikeout pitcher. But with, with LSU being middle of the road and, and striking out on offense, I, I do wonder, Chase Dolander, Chase Burns, high strikeout guys, uh, even Andrew Lindsay, Seth Halverson, uh, guys who have stuff that that leads to to high strikeout numbers as well. A, a Camden Sewell, I, I do wonder if that's an area that, in hindsight, when we reflect on this matchup, if Tennessee is to win, I imagine it's one of those areas that that we'll look back on and and be like, yeah, that that played a, a big reason uh, is Tennessee's ability to to really strike out LSU and keep them off the bases. Now, I did mention. LSU is first in on base percentage and they are third in walks. So they do reach base and, and they do see good pitches uh, that that's to be expected for a middle of the road team in terms of strikeouts. But uh, I would not be surprised if we're looking up on Thursday night, Friday night and, and Burns and, and Dolander pitching into the sixth, seventh inning and are at double digit strikeouts or approaching double digit strikeouts. Yeah, that's sort of the, as far as scouting goes and scouts, I mean, Tennessee's starting pitchers and and really some of the bullpen arms too against LSU's offense is about as good as a matchup gets for a scout. Uh, I mean, I I would imagine that the vast majority of the Major League Baseball clubs will have at least one scout there in attendance this weekend for obvious reasons, Uh, not just for this draft, but for the next couple drafts as well. There's LSU right now as a team – Reminds me a lot of Tennessee last year at this time with maybe if you Tennessee last year had a little more power than this LSU team does now. And Tennessee last year had a little bit probably better, uh, obviously a little better pitching than LSU has right now overall. But but the 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 comparisons are kind of hard to to miss because the LSU lineup is so ridiculously deep. Um, and, and Tennessee's pitchers, you're right, Ben, they do have to lead the way. They, they have to remember that they are every bit as touted as LSU's lineup is. They have to remember that. And they have to find a way to get off to better starts. Uh, it is so important. It's going to be so important to not let that crowd get going early, to not let that offense get going early. A couple of shutdown innings early put some pressure on LSU, put some doubt into that team, that would go a long way. Um, because, again, aluminum bats, high-velocity pitching, 
you're going to uh, – the ball is going to leave the yard a couple times, right? That's going to happen. And maybe you could argue that Dolander throws too many strikes because <laughs> it sounds dumb to say, but, you know, maybe that's why sometimes people are putting, you know, some pretty solid contact on them early because they're hunting fastball. They know they're going to get strikes, and, and they're getting them. So I, I, I think – we talked earlier about Tennessee having maybe too much hubris. I, 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 I would. I'm going to sound dumb now because I'm going to say this is a weekend where you're going to need some hubris. You're going to need some, you know, mentality about you, some swagger about you. You have got to go into this game not letting that lineup rattle you, not letting that team, not letting that stadium rattle you. You got to go into the phone booth, come back out with the Superman cape, and you got to come out there and do your job. And and that is huge. I mean, you know, whatever's been going on with Dolander early in games, whatever's going on between his ears, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's pressure of being potentially 1-1. I don't know if it's uh, just something mechanically. I, I don't know what it is. But but something just he's not quite been at his best. He's been good. Been really good. You'd love to have him. He's he's an ace. There's no question about it. But everyone knows he can be better. And Burns is starting to kind of find that switch a little bit, which is good. And Beam needs to find that switch too. These guys got to lead the way. And they got to be ready to loosen those arms, maybe go up a little bit in pitch count, maybe a little bit this weekend if they need to. Um, Because you don't want to put too much into it. But it is a big weekend, and it's a big opportunity. And it's a very good opportunity for Tennessee to say, you know know what, LSU, you're you're not ready. You're not the bully you think you are yet. This is a really good chance to go in there and and go in there and punch with them, fight with them, and and kind of stake your claim to say, you know, we're we're still the biggest boys on this block. We're coming into this ter- this weekend with the championship belt, with the tournament championship belt. It's on our waists. We're carrying it into the into the arena. We're the dudes here. You're not the dudes yet. You want you might be the dudes, but you're going to have to come take it from us. Tennessee, I think, needs that mentality this weekend because it's going to be them against the world. There's going to be a couple hundred probably Tennessee fans there. That's probably about it. The box is a tough place to play. Mentally, I think Tennessee's got to go into this thing. It's a piss and vinegar weekend in my mind. Some people would say it's where you need to be calm and 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 go business-like, and, and maybe that's the answer. To me, though, it doesn't feel like it is. To me, the answer feels like you're going into a cauldron. You're going to have to bring some heat yourself. Yeah, and LSU has already talked about today on Wednesday, talking about how I'm paraphrasing, but they, they've kind of had this matchup circled for a while. Uh, Paul Skeen said, "You can't deny we've been looking forward to this weekend," and, and I don't think there's there's any coincidence there. Uh, I, Paul Skeens has has not been around LSU uh, prior to this season, but the Trey Morgans and the Dylan Cruz, the the freshman, Dugas, uh, all those guys, the the ones who came to Knoxville two years ago for that super regional, uh, when Paul Maneri was was having his send off, and they 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 caught he double hockey sticks from everybody and anybody in Knoxville, uh, and then last year's SEC tournament game, uh, I, I think they're gonna, I, I think they do remember every, everything that's been said and Hell everything yeah. that's gone on. Uh, in in the past, so I agree with you. I, I I do think you need to to strike a good balance of playing with a, a Drew Gilbert level edge, but also not doing too much, not not getting outside of yourself. Because when you do try to do too much or or become somebody that you're not, then then you are certainly not going to play well. But you, you're just going to have to be mentally tough, and and that that looks different for everybody. Some people are mentally tough. Uh, Drew Gilbert style, in, in which they let everybody in the stadium <laughs> know what they're feeling. They, they they show all of their emotions on their sleeve, and, and others they they are mentally tough by just kind of being quiet and and going about their business and letting the, their play on the field speak for itself. So whatever that is, they 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 have to do that this weekend, as we have talked about at, at length here on the pod, and and then I think the starting pitching. And not just the starting pitching. Uh, when Halverson comes in, when Sewell comes in, Lindsey, Kirby, anybody who pitches this weekend, Zach Joyce, the, the the pitching staff has to lead the way this weekend, not only because LSU's lineup is really, 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 really good, but this is a Tennessee lineup that is, that is still growing, and, and you just can't expect them to go into this weekend and, and put up a, a ton of runs 
I, I think they're they have the potential to do so, but that can't be the expectation, and you can't be banking on them uh, to do that because they're also well, going to be going up against big time pitching. Paul Skeens is is just absolutely elite. I mean, the, Jim Schlossnagel and Dave Van Horn are talking about him as the best college pitcher ever to to play college baseball and and then you have Ty Floyd who's going to start game 2 and and Thatcher Hurd who's going to start game 3 two very, very talented starters you you've got big time arms coming out of the bullpen so the the pitching staff especially Tennessee's trio of aces they're going to have to lead the way a because they are the best position group that Tennessee has but also Wes we're talking about how great this LSU baseball team is, and and I don't really think there is an area of this team in in which that that you can really point to as a weakness. But there's obviously going to be a weakness by default, and if you're going to nitpick and and split hairs, maybe you could point to the lack of depth within LSU's pitching staff. Yep. Uh, because again, you you do have Paul Skeens, who's absolutely tremendous, and and you have those other pitchers that I mentioned, Ty Floyd, Thatcher Heard, that's going to start for them. Uh, they go out and they also get Christian Little, the the transfer from Vandy, who's been a bullpen arm for them. Uh, but they have some others as well, Chase Shores, who who's been dynamite out of the bullpen, pumping in triple digits when he comes into the game. Uh, Garrett Edwards, uh, Griffin Herring, Will Helmers, they they have some bullpen arms. I'm not saying that they don't have enough. But maybe that that's the the area that you're circling in, in terms of maybe not proven as much as the starting rotation and, and they haven't proven as much as the the offense has or, or as the position players have defensively. And so if if you're Dolander and Burns and Beam, like you, you gotta pitch deep into these to these ball games and kind of help the offense get the opposing starter out of the game as as quick as possible and try to get to the bullpen and try to test the depth of the bullpen because that, that's the one area that you can maybe point to about this LSU team. And, and Tennessee is going to have to find a way to get to the to the back end of that bullpen and, and just see how deep and talented it is. Yeah, Skeens has been phenomenal. I think you're seeing what happens when a, a guy goes from being a service academy guy and all of the – the 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 extracurriculars that come with that you know baseball and sports don't really come first there you're serving your country you're going through drills it's different world and then a guy goes to LSU where again you can you're still a student athlete obviously but but you're 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 you don't have as many distractions you're able to have you know more rest and nutrition and focus and other things like that more time on baseball and you're seeing him blossom i think as a result of that and he's been phenomenal he's been really good but you got to think does that bother Dolander a little bit? If you're a competitive guy, does that get in your head a little bit and say, you know what? No, I'm, I'm, that dude ain't better than me. And, and I think you got to be a competitor about you and you got to have a little bit of that stuff inside of you, uh, to do that. And if you're Tennessee's offense, you know, right now, as good as that LSU, you know, offense is, it's phenomenal. You know, people are talking about, you know, schemes more than anybody. If you can put some dents in that car early, if you can run into a couple of fastballs there, if you can put up a crooked number on him, if you can beat him, man, you can you can maybe change the di- dynamic of the entire weekend if you do that. Run into one against him, you know, put you know blacken his nose a little bit, give him a little shiner. You can do that. If you do that, you have a chance. It's a hard thing to do, but if you can do that, you can really maybe you can maybe adjust, recalibrate things for the entire weekend and for both teams. I think that's a huge opportunity for Tennessee to do that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's get into the bullpen, make LSU uncomfortable. You know, even if, hey, if you take some pitches, if you're striking out occasionally, you can get those pitch counts up. A game within a game, right? I mean, attack, go into attack mode, but it's not the worst thing in the world. If you're striking out a lot of guys, you're usually getting your pitch count up there a little bit. So it's not the worst thing in the world. Get to that bullpen, stress that depth, make that go into a situation where you make LSU uncomfortable. If you let LSU stay comfortable in that ballpark, LSU is going to scorch you. If you make LSU uncomfortable, you can kind of turn the energy of that crowd. You can turn the energy of that LSU dugout. You can do those things if you if you punch him in the nose. If you, I don't mean literally, Tennessee. Don't take that literally. I mean, if you metaphorically punch them in the nose, um, let's be serious here, you know, metaphorically, then you can go out there and maybe 
maybe change the dynamics of this series. Because right now, you know, Tennessee's got some momentum. LSU's got a hell of a lot more. And they're playing this game at home, and they're going to be a problem unless you make it a problem for them. Yes, because they, they quickly become a problem for you uh, if you don't. Uh, as Arkansas quickly learned last weekend, Arkansas winning game one and then just getting absolutely destroyed in game two and game three on Saturday to to be blown out in that doubleheader and, and lose that series. So you, you got to have your foot on the gas from the jump and sustain it throughout the weekend. And uh, this is a Tennessee team that I think is capable of going down there and winning. Uh, it, it's just a matter of piecing all the puzzle pieces together. Uh, baseball is not a, a one man sport. It's, it's got to be a team effort. It's a bunch of individuals playing at their best and, they, they've got to take care of the small details. That that continues to be somewhat of a talking point w- with this team. Less so over the last week, week and a half. But um, defensively, they, they've got to show up. Base running, Lord knows they're good for one base running mistake a game. But they, they're really yeah. going to have to try to focus in and, and cut down on the base running mistakes. Not, not just this weekend, but these next several weeks. But it's it's going to be a fun weekend. I'm fascinated to see the pitching matchups. Uh, I'm fascinated to see where Tennessee's lineup is at at the end of March as as it goes up against one of the best pitching staffs in the SEC and in the country. And, and then I'm also interested to see if if Burns, Beam, and Dolander. I think they've all been good to start the season, but I don't think that they necessarily pitched to their potential. Is this the weekend that it finally clicks for them? And and boy, could they, could Tennessee use it this weekend for it to click all <laughs> at the same time? Uh, because that LSU lineup, it, it is it is deep. What Dylan Cruz is doing is just unheard of. Five forty I mean, he, or whatever it, it is, it's ridiculous. Five forty two. It, it is. It's ridiculous. He's first in slugging percentage. First and on base percentage. Not only is he hitting for an high average, but he has 27 walks. 27 walks. First in hits, first in runs scored, fourth in doubles. I find it interesting that he's only 12th in RBIs, but I think that's because he's primarily hit in the two hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Tommy White, who hits right behind him, which imagine that. They have Tommy White on their team, who was a freshman phenom at NC State last year before transferring to LSU. We're wrapping up the podcast, and we're just now talking about him. But yeah, Tommy yeah. White is is first in RBIs, and and I think that's why Dylan Cruz uh, is only twelfth in the SEC. But thirty two RBIs on on the season, and and twelfth in the SEC is really really good. And uh, Tommy White's been cleaning up everything behind him, and, and it's not just to those two. Trey Morgan's been in the lineup forever. They have Gavin Dugas, Kay Beloso, Josh Pearson, Jordan Thompson at shortstop. Uh, Their catchers don't necessarily pop out from a a hitting standpoint. They can hit, but I'd say they're more defensive catchers than anything. And you you can see that by uh, just looking at it from a statistical standpoint because they don't allow guys to to steal bases. And I don't know that that's necessarily going to affect Tennessee in a a huge way because they're not an offense that's predicated on really stealing a ton of bases. I, I, I think their their numbers i haven't checked tennessee stolen bases numbers of of late i do think their numbers look good but it's not necessarily an offense that is centered uh around being a, a team that's going to manufacture runs because they're 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 hitting a single and and then they're stealing second and 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 then then they're trying to get over to third on a bunt here and there uh tennessee obviously tries to to do those things at certain times but it it's it's not an offense that lacks power or pop so they 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 don't have to manufacture runs so uh, LSU is good defensively behind the plate but I don't know how much that'll impact Tennessee just because that that doesn't really fit into their style of play but uh end of the day Wes Tennessee's gonna have to show up with the right attitude uh in Baton Rouge uh and harness it the right way in order to come out with a series win and obviously the offense isn't going to be able to get away with producing one run a game but the pitching staff is going to have to lead the way. Offense is going to have to chip in, but they got to show up with the right mentality. And uh, the, the the pitching staff has to lead the way, as we have talked about. Yeah, I think it comes down to – let's see if I can phrase this the right way. It comes down to mentally 
getting yourself ready to to do whatever it takes to be physically at your best. Like for some guys, maybe they stay calm within themselves and they and they handle the noise that way. With other guys, maybe they're a little more confrontational. Maybe that brings out the best in them or a little more a little more competitive. Whatever it takes for each individual to get to a point where they're mentally ready to compete the best they can physically, that's where you need to get. Because this isn't like a put all your chips on the table and if you lose or, or have a bad weekend, you're done. That, that's no, that, that's that's not even remotely the case. But this is a situation where it, it's a it, it's a big marker in the season, right? It's a team that that you've beaten, I think, maybe six consecutive times, and, and a team that that has a lot of pride and doesn't doesn't want that to continue. It's a team that wants to beat your brains in. It's a team that's had this circled for a while. You know, there's a lot of these guys that are playing for these teams were recruited by the other team as well and considered going to the other team. They've butted against, butted heads on the recruiting trail several times. Like these programs are, despite being geographically nowhere near each other, are, are connected in a lot of ways. You know, the ways that the mentality of the players, the the, the guys they've been recruiting, uh, the, just the way they, the, the, the competitive nature, the emotional range that we see from them there's a lot of through lines here with these two programs and, and i think this is a a big opportunity for tennessee to sort of send a message to not just lsu not just the sec but to college baseball in general that hey you know i don't want to call it a free hit because it's not a free hit because there, there's consequences if you lose but it's about as close to a free hit as this tennessee baseball program is going to get Right, like if you go there and you don't win the series, like people don't expect that right now. People expect this LSU team to go in there and take care of business because it's been the best team in college baseball. So take a little bit of the pressure off yourself. Go in there, poke them in the eye, and see if you can make them uncomfortable. See if you can see if you can beat them. Because I think if you're Tennessee, you need to remember you're also really damn good. You've also got a lot of high round draft picks, first round draft picks, a lot of pop at the plate, uh, the best pitching staff that you're going to see in the country. With no offense to some of those guys at LSU, especially Skeens, they've been phenomenal. But as a depth overall, like you can't ask for more than what Tennessee has with that that arm farm of Frank Anderson. So, yeah, I think if it comes down to to getting yourself mentally in whatever position you need to be to be at your best physically and give it a go because you you've got a chance to go down there and make some noise this weekend or things don't go well and you got to recalibrate quickly because you got another banger of a series coming next weekend. So it's an opportunity for Tennessee to go in there and, and, and make some noise, be, be the irritant that it likes to be. It'll be a fun weekend and we will have plenty of coverage of it at goballs247.com or I don't even really feel like it's a weekend series because it is Thursday, yeah, Friday and, weird. and, and Saturday, weird. but uh, fittingly enough, Game one on Thursday night will be the same day as opening day in Major League Baseball. I, I think that's a funny coincidence, but uh, first pitch for game one is 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPNU. And then Friday night, game two will be at 7 p.m. Eastern on the SEC Network. And then the series finale on Saturday is at 2 p.m. Eastern, and you'll have to stream that one on SEC Network+. Plus. It'll be a fun weekend. We'll learn a lot about this Tennessee baseball team. Uh, this weekend, but also in the upcoming weeks, and we'll have plenty of coverage of it at GoBoss247.com. Appreciate you, Wes. Anytime, my man. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the GoBoss 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash goballs 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash goballs 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that 
at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.